Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Uh, Thanks for being here and worshiping with us. Uh, I sound really good when I'm singing with all of you. So... um, has anybody ever done a voice recording of themselves singing? It's a few weird people like me. When I play it back, I don't really love it. Uh, I think, man, I, I need voice lessons. Um, it's awesome just to be together uh, as a body and sing and uh, declare the incredible promises of God. Well, you're probably familiar with what a landmark is. Anybody not know what a landmark? No, you don't have to raise your hand, but even if you're not like a cartographer, map maker, you probably know what a landmark is. Uh, In fact, you probably learned early on what a landmark was. Uh, I grew up in West Virginia, which explains a few things about me that you were probably wondering about. And uh, one of the things I remember is, uh, I lived in Ashford, West Virginia, which is about 20 miles from Charleston, the capital, and we would, as a family, go on road trips lots of times. And I was, as a child, quite concerned about when are we getting home? When is this road trip over? And one of the things that always cued me into the fact that we were getting close was when we went through Charleston and went past a place called Epline's Coffee Shop. And there was a big marquee lit up, so day or night, I was able to identify where I was on the map. And I knew I was getting close to home. It was, uh, well, it was an exciting time. It was about 20 minutes away. I knew I could hold out uh, from that moment, and I was going to make it home. Well, maybe in our spiritual lives, we have moments that are not just landmarks, but they're sort of faith marks. Uh, maybe uh, particular people, whenever we're around them, we know like our, our faith is just built up or we're uh, convicted of certain things. I actually have people, certain people in this congregation that when, I'm, when I see them, I think about certain things that it convicts me about, something I see in their life that I want to be true in my own life. And so I kind of have these faith marks in terms of people, but... Um, to give you another example, I had, there's a place in Spearfish, South Dakota, where I worked as a youth pastor for a while. Uh, I was near my uh, house where I was living. I was out walking in the street, just praying and confessing and worshiping. And there was this moment where I just had this deeply spiritual experience where I just felt the overwhelming love of God like I never have before or since in my life. It was incredible. And so uh, whenever I drive through there, I take the exit into Spearfish, not, when, not every time, but uh, several times uh, I've done this and just driven back on that street, just like, I wonder if it'll happen again. Uh, 
kind of a, a, a faith mark uh, for me. Well, we're going to read a story about a landmark for the nation of Israel that was also a faith mark for them, this place where they were called back consistently to remember who God was, to remember what God was like. And we're going to um, just challenge ourselves to, to think about um, what it is that God is calling us to, to think about the covenant that we are in uh, with him. So we're going to start a series going through the book of Judges. And so uh, this is not where Christian learn, Christians learn to be judgmental towards others. Uh, we just kind of do that on our own, and that's actually a behavior that Scripture teaches against. Uh, the book of Judges is about uh, these amazing people that God raised up to uh, show his incredible provision and strength and protection over uh, the nation of Israel. So we're going to have some fun going through uh, a variety of those stories. And you would think that if we're going to go through a series on the book of Judges, we would start with Judges chapter 1. That makes sense, right? Well, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to start in Joshua chapter 4. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Jo Did I say chapter 4? Joshua chapter 24. That's the last chapter of Joshua, which comes right before Judges. And so we're, it's going to transition us into Judges. Uh, if you have your Bible app, uh, which hopefully everybody has the Bible app on their phone because hopefully they have joined our church reading plan uh, 90 days uh, through the gospel. If you haven't joined, we would love to have you do that. Uh, you can go to the Connect tab on our website, and there is a link so you can uh, join us. And so at some point during the day, you're reading three or four chapters, and then you are uh, joining in the conversation about how God is speaking to us as a church through uh, what we've just read. But you can open up your Bible app to uh, Joshua 24 and, and join us there. So, verse 1 says, Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. These judges in this verse are not the judges of the book of Judges, just to clarify. Um, I'm going to stop there, but you can keep your app or your Bible open and you can uh, just read along. I'm not going to cover all of the verses in this chapter. We're going to hit some key ones, but I'm going to start with this location, Shechem. So it made sense that Joshua called everybody to Shechem because a lot of significant things have happened here. And uh, there's, there's either a um, particular oak tree, or, or you'll see it referenced to as a terebinth tree, or, or there was a grove of oak trees there. And this is still sort of a famous area in Israel. It is a site, a holy site that uh, people go to. We're not welcome there. You have to be a Muslim. Uh, they control that particular site. So in order to get there, you've got to, I don't know, act like a Muslim or something. I don't know how you would get there as a non-Muslim. Uh, but to go in and, and see this one particular tree that they believe is like the actual tree that Abraham 
stood under when he came to the land of Canaan, and the, it was the first place he set up his tents in this area of Shechem near these trees, and they think this is where God um, initiated the covenant with Abraham. So it's a, it's a very holy site. Uh, Shechem, a lot of things happen there. Um, for example, this is the uh, place where uh, Jacob uh, digs his well. Uh, this is uh, the place where uh, Jacob uh, makes, the makes the first uh, Israelite land purchase, right? This is the first time a Hebrew owns, actually owns land in Israel, is in this area of Shechem. Uh, this is where Joseph is sold into slavery. This is where uh, Joseph asks for his bones to be buried uh, when he is returned at the base of these trees or this tree. So there are a lot of significant spiritual things that have happened in the life of Israel in this area. This, this uh, area sort of rivals Jerusalem for number of things, number of um, incredible things that have happened there, right? Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is built. This is where Abraham takes Isaac. Uh, so Shechem is one of those areas where there's all of this interaction uh, with God. So that's why they are at Shechem. And it's, it's a landmark area, right? Like Abraham didn't just stop there by accident. It was a major uh, you know, route through the area. So this is like the highway going through the area. And uh, there are trees there, so there's shade, and there's probably water near. In fact, we know there's water near because Jacob drills a well there and finds water. Um, it's a little bit elevated, so it's somewhat defensible. It's just a, a really good natural place to stop and to rest. And it turns out, that it's an extraordinary place to experience God. Well, Joshua, at the end of his leadership of Israel, he knows he's at the end of his life, or towards the end of his life, he calls Israel together to this place. He does that strategically because he wants them to be reminded of the God that they serve, of the God whose nation they are. And so... Then he goes into, starting in verse 2 and down through verse 13, um, Joshua recounts for the nation of Israel, in summary form, but he recounts for the nation of Israel all the ways in which God has saved them, has rescued them, has set them apart, has provided for them, has given them extraordinary experience after extraordinary experience so that they might follow him and him alone because that is what Joshua is after. So he reminds them that, Ab that God called Abraham out of a pagan land, uh, that God protected Abraham, that he provided for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob. He reminds them of the story of Joseph being taken to Egypt, of the Israelites being in slavery for 400 years and being delivered from Egypt by Moses. He reminds them of all the extraordinary ways in which God saved Israel, this fledgling nation from arguably the most powerful nation on earth and rescued them, uh, basically took their whole slave labor force and freed them. 
he reminds them of how while in the desert, they had to fight against the Amorites, which was the local superpower, and how God protected them in all of that, and how in each situation, even as they've gone into the land of Canaan and had military victory after military victory, how God is the one who was responsible for their greatness, for their rise to power, for their success. Isn't it interesting that Joshua has to remind them of that? Do you ever read in the Bible and maybe reading a story about the nation of Israel or about one of the people in the Bible and and it just strikes you? I think I know why God put this in here because I think I'm just like that. And I think I need to hear that. Is it possible this morning that we need to be reminded that we have the abilities, the personality, the resources, the opportunities that we have because it is God who has provided those things? Not our own good moral decision-making, not our own financial savvy, not our own personal disciplines. Those are things that maybe we enjoy, but we enjoy them as a result of God having given them. Well, the reason that Joshua is recounting all of this for the people of Israel is because he wants to call them to something. He wants to call them to choose. Verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly, Joshua says. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River. That's a reference to Abraham, where he came from, and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? The people they're conquering, they serve these different false gods, and they have these different rituals that go along with worship of these man-made gods. And here's the famous quote, right? But as for me and my family, or in other versions, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua makes this strong declaration that as long as he is alive, you know, over his cold, dead body, his house will serve the Lord. And God calls us to make a choice. God is a call us to choice God. Right? We see this throughout the scriptures. God is constantly calling us to make a choice about how we are going to live There's an incredible amount of integrity revealed in God's character when he calls us to make a choice. So, I don't know if you're like me or not, but my general experience in following God is that this is just a regular, ongoing thing. That God is constantly putting me in situations where I will need to choose between something temporary or something eternal. 
or I will have to choose between something that brings gratification or glory to myself versus something that will bring pleasure, edification to others or glory to God. So Joshua calls people to make this choice. And as I read that verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Aren't you, don't you in your hearts have a response to that where you say, yeah, me too. My house, we're going to serve the Lord. Yeah, that's what I want because I know all the things that God has done for me. I know the, all the ways that God has protected me, preserved my life, watched over me, blessed me. So I want that too. Well, the people replied, verse 16, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. Right? This is the generation. They've seen the stuff. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. And isn't this exactly the response that you would want if you were Joshua? And isn't this exactly the response that we would expect? I mean, they have just seen the walls of Jericho fall. They have seen the Jordan River stopped up. They have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. So doesn't it make sense that they would say, yeah, we are all in. Verse 19 is one of the most disturbing verses in Scripture. Then Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. I mean, when we read that, it's almost hard to believe that it's, that it's in Scripture. It seems so contradictory to what we know as followers of Christ. Why does Joshua say this? You are not able to serve the Lord. It's almost as if when they say in verse 15, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, it's almost as though Josh is la Joshua is laughing hysterically. Ta! No way! Why does Joshua respond this way? Because Joshua has seen the human heart. He has seen the same people who saw the Red Sea parted. Joshua was in that party, by the way. He's seen those same people go and days later worship a golden calf as though that golden calf was God. He has seen how quickly people can move from seeing God's extraordinary power to diving fully into rebellion against that very same God. 
Joshua knows that God is a holy and perfect God. Joshua knows that God is concerned beyond our wildest imagination over our sin and rebellion. Joshua knows that God demands absolute obedience in every situation, every time, every case. Perfect holiness. That is God's demand. And so when the people of Israel stand up and say, yeah, we're all in, Joshua says, not even a chance. Not going to happen. Are you hoping that we get to some good news? Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. Notice I moved to the New Testament. There's a difference. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That's why Joshua is saying, it's not going to happen. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Well, the people think Joshua is just using a rhetorical measure to get them to dig a little deeper in their faith. And so verse 20, or excuse me, verse 21, it says, the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. They're doubling down. They're getting more determined. Verse 22, Joshua says, you are a witness to your own decision. You have chosen to serve the Lord. He's not really saying this in a positive way. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses to what we have said. Um, we might understand this better if, if uh, we understood it this way. Joshua is basically saying, your blood is on your own head. Your blood is on your own head. You just said you're going to follow God. You just said it's going to be God alone. You just said you're going to keep the covenant. All right then, Joshua said, verse 23, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Then the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. They've done this before, by the way, the people of Israel. This is not the first commitment they've made. This is, in so many ways, the story of Judges. Right? Strong commitment that lasts for a while. Then distraction comes in. Then desires come in, competing desires. Check this out. 
As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth or the oak tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Jesus said to all the people, this stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Joshua is convinced this is not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. I've seen God do the most extraordinary things, and I've seen people rebel in the most extraordinary ways. There's no way this covenant is going to get kept. And so I want to roll this rock up here so that the people of Israel future who break the covenant will be reminded that they broke the covenant. I want them to know. So he rolls this massive rock up so that you can see it from a good distance away. So anybody walking by, anybody in the area is reminded that they are a covenant breaker. This doesn't seem very hopeful, does it? It doesn't seem very helpful. He wants people to be reminded that their God is a jealous God, that he's intensely passionate about us not sinning, about us being obedient, about him being the only God we serve. More intensely passionate about that than we can imagine. More holy than we can fathom. Joshua wants them to be reminded of this. We cannot keep the covenant. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest that has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, whereas Joshua rolled a stone up, to remind people that they are covenant breakers, to remind people that God is perfect and there's no possible way that we can live up to his standard, Jesus rolled the stone away and walked out of the grave to tell us that the covenant has been fulfilled, to tell us that we are forgiven to tell us that he loves us in spite of the fact that we are covenant breakers. He demonstrates for us his love in the fact that he died for us while we were still covenant breakers, sinners. Jesus died for us. He loved us. And he continues to love us even as followers of Christ who, well, we don't always get it right. I don't know about you, but God did not perfect me on the moment that I accepted his lordship in my life. God did not perfect me in that moment where I surrendered myself to him, but God has been perfecting me. God has been fulfilling his promise to complete the good work in me, while at the same time making me perfect in his sight through Christ. 
Could you imagine being an Israelite and walking by this rock all the time? I grew up uh, not just in West Virginia, but also in Wyoming, which maybe answers some other questions you have about me. But in Wyoming, we have a lot of billboards. You're driving along on the highway, and there are these billboards. I mean, I think... I don't think the ranchers there make any money off of the cattle. I think they're making it all off of renting out billboard space. Lots of billboards, advertising all sorts of things. And could you imagine just constantly sort of driving by billboards that remind you that you're a covenant breaker? You can't do it. You're part of a nation that that has this history Just this cycle of just breaking the covenant over and over and over and over again. Well, that's why the story of Jesus is such good news. Because he has fulfilled the covenant completely on our behalf. Because we walk in freedom. Because we are no longer slaves to the law. One of the interesting things that has happened at Shechem that really doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, Bible times or spiritual events, but in the time of Hadrian, the Emperor Hadrian, uh, they, the Romans were not happy with Jewish people, and uh, they came in and they decided they were going to do a slave sell, so they, they uh, like a slave auction, so they gathered up a bunch of Jews, 130, at least 135,000 Jews, and they sold them as slaves at Shechem. I just thought, well, how interesting it is that that's what the enemy does. The enemy enslaves us. The enemy tries to convince us, even as Christians, that we are slaves, right? Remember, Paul has to say, don't take again upon yourself the yoke of slavery. We don't do that as Christians. I shouldn't say we don't do that. We should not do that. As Christians, we are free from sin. I know you're not saying it out loud, but hopefully internally you're saying, wow, that's awesome. Free from sin. I can fulfill the covenant through Christ. I can be who God would have me be through Christ. This is my my hope as we go through uh, the book of Judges. My hope is that we, we celebrate the fact that God's arms are, are always wide open for us to return to him. And we celebrate the fact that God's grace is incredible in our lives. That he has forgiven us completely of all of our sins, not just the ones in the past, but also the ones in the future. God has forgiven us completely. I mean, think about whether or not this works Theologically, Jesus is on the cross and he dies for our sins, but it's just for the sins. Like his, his atonement is only for the ones we've committed in the past. It doesn't work. 
He's died for all of our sins. And the reason I want us to grip this is because the enemy is constantly trying to take us back to the rock that was rolled in front of this tree and tell us, man, you, you're a covenant breaker. You keep breaking that covenant. You're just not gonna make it. You might as well just, I mean, you might as well just indulge yourself fully. You might as well just get discouraged fully. You might as well just give up completely. Well, the covenant maker has come. Jesus is the covenant maker. He has come on our behalf. It's interesting that Joshua's name and Jesus' name, it's the same name. Their English translations have kind of messed with that a little bit, but if you were to, in Jesus' day, go up and refer to him, you would say, Joshua. And if you were in Joshua's day and you were to refer to Joshua, you would say, Jesus. Not really. In both cases, you would be saying, Yeshua, which is the Hebrew word for Jesus and for Joshua. And do we know what those words or what that word Yeshua means? It's going to be at least one Greek scholar among us. Salvation. So we sing a song that says, there is salvation in his name. His name is actually salvation, right? When David says, the Lord is my rock and my salvation, the Lord is my rock and my Yeshua. This is my hope. You know, as we listen to the stories going through the book of Judges, as we see people who become intimate with God in terms of seeing him provide for them in incredible ways, who then are willing one generation later to go and do horrible things in rebellion against God, that we would just be reminded of God's incredible grace, that we would be reminded of his desire for us to live victorious lives to not be intimidated by his holiness because we have a great high priest who understands our weaknesses. And that, as a result, we would go boldly into his throne room again and again and again every time we need it, every time we mess up, every time we need his forgiveness, he is there to provide it. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would help us to choose you. You would remind us of your grace that when we've messed things up, we can choose you again. And the next time we've messed up, we can choose you again. Father, draw us back again and again to your seat of mercy. Father, help us to respond to your incredible grace on our behalf with everything that we are, with our whole lives, with everything we think and say and do, may they completely revolve around responding to your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. 
It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.